gotta be a listing, honey. I pay him six G's a year in premiums. China is here, Mr. Burton. Yeah, go ahead. All right. The Chan scene. Yeah, okay. The Wing Kong. They've been fighting for centuries. What does that mean? Huh? China is here. I don't even know what the hell that means. All I know is this low pan character comes out of thin air in the middle of a goddamn alley while his buddies are flying around on wires cutting everybody to shreds and he just stands there waiting for me to drive my truck straight through him with light coming out of his mouth. Jack, please. Oh, I'll use... Yeah, when okay. did this Today, happen? Okay, it didn't, on. Uncle Chu. Not like he says. Yeah, it did, Uncle Chu. Two hours ago. Tall guy, weird clothes. First you see him, then you don't. Welcome to Screen Run. I'm your host, the Lady One, and I'm here with... Chris Galza. Oh, excuse me. Oh, wait. How do I want to do this? How do you No, no, you we'll stick with this for now. <laughs> yes, this is Chris Galza. <laughs> Screen Run is the show where Chris and I explore the films of a particular artist or franchise, and in Season 3, we are discussing the films of John Carpenter one by one. Today, we are talking about 1986's Big Trouble in Little China, and we are excited to be joined by yet another returning guest. It's Sean from Cheap Seat Reviews. Hello, Sean. Hello. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be back here on Screen Run. (laughs) Thank you for uh, joining the Pork Chop Express, Sean. (laughs) Well, you know, just when Lady One asked me if I can come back, I told her, well, it's all in the reflexes, so. That's right. <laughs> That's just exactly, I, I feel like you were doing the. Where's Jack? It's okay. Everybody relax, I'm here. Yeah. That's it. Everybody relax. Everybody relax, Sean's I'm here. here. All right? It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. I got my knife and my machine pistol. It's fine. <sighs> Thank God. John. John. Sean. Yeah. <laughs> John, what the hell is wrong with me? Carpenter. It's what it is. I got carp on the brain there. Yeah. I'm a carpet. <laughs> we ever settle on that? We, John. We, we got close. What do you do? What's your show about? <laughs> Tell us a little bit about you. Sure. So I am Sean, the host of Cheap Seat Reviews, the podcast that explores the Hollywood film industry for the greater good. Uh, we are a film review podcast. Uh, we don't have cool seasons like you guys. We just uh, just we started <laughs> nine years ago and we just haven't stopped. And uh, uh, Lady Juan has been on our show. Um, I think we did the math. It's been like seven or eight times, right? Like, yeah, it's, it's a been lot. A lot. You were you were basically the first person I stalked on the internet to uh, get to come on <laughs> to my show. You are literally quite like, quite literally the first guest we had that I didn't know, like they didn't have a, a previous <laughs> friendship with. So it was awesome. Yeah. So if you now you can't get rid of me. Yeah. Well, if you're so what I'm saying is if you're a listener <laughs> of this show, then what you need to do is go find all of the episodes that Lady Wan was on and listen to those. And then while you're at it, listen yeah. to the rest of them. And I think I was on once. You were on one I once. Did one. I did one. I don't remember the episode that you did, but I, re- I remember it. <laughs> Must have been good. I like to leave an impression. Well, like it was it, we, when you, we've done 435 episodes. Like I, I'm allowed to forget uh, a one or. Oh, hundred. Sure, that's fine. It's, it's okay if if you'll recall last time we discussed Chris when I was on your show before, yeah. you couldn't remember if I was on that episode. So I was confident you, know. you were correct, <laughs> but that was not based on anything other than me being like, no, I, I was th- I was there. <laughs> it's okay. You've both been podcasting for a very long time. You were on for mm-hmm. Ghostbusters too. That's right. Yeah. You, you did Ghostbusters too, yeah. Episode three hundred and seventy-five. I'm assuming your lowest rated or lowest <laughs> listened to episode, hence the lack of a return. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, that's not quite how we do it. It's more about the uh, 
how much sarcasm and sass we get on the episode, and now we know why. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah. You you gotta you gotta come in. You gotta pick a fight. You gotta. Yeah. See, that's the problem. Yeah. You were too nice. That was that's the problem. Uh, yeah. You were you were too mm-hmm. nice. You were just like a cordial. Yeah, yeah, you were just like a really, Respectful. just a really lovely Canadian. You were just, you know, swept up after yourself. Yeah. <laughs> We've had a lot of Canadians on the show yeah. recently. That's why I made the joke. Oh, okay. I'm not a dirty Canadian. <laughs> I learned that they're nice. They are nice people. They're nice to us. In the rest of the world, they're not nice to each other. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard, I heard lots of fun stories about, about things. Go back and listen to... Now, is that broken up by like province? Let's really get into this. Let's spend the next hour and a half talking about <laughs> about Canadians. Without... Like I've, I've been to Montreal and Toronto, which I adored. Yeah, by the way. Ooh. Yeah, of course, as you should. Uh, basically, uh, one of the stories because I I made the joke right, like, oh, you know, she's you know, our guest is here and she's Canadian because she's gonna be nice, and she's like, let me go ahead and stop that stereotype because <laughs> she says I used to work the it's the Canadian Football League, right? And she worked the sure. she oh, worked the gates, yeah. and for some reason, when you Win or lose, when you leave the stadium, they literally hand you bags of potato chips as like samples, as you would as do. you would do in Canada, right? Because oh, well. it seems like a very Canadian thing to do. And she says, and if they lost, then people would literally throw the bags back at me. You know, she's like, <laughs> I've been pelted by bags of potato chips. <laughs> she's like, I'm just trying. I'm, that's that's full. I'm like, I'm only getting paid get eight dollars an hour, and you're throwing chips at me. Like, what is happening? So terrible. But but I guess if you compare. That like Canadians swap back bags of potato chips when they lose, and like English football fans burn down stadiums. So you know, yeah. Well, Canadians I mean, are still nice. Um, uh, <laughs> overall, they're nicer than everyone else. Like well, their bad attitude is like polite. Everyone, else. yeah. Uh, Philadelphia burns its city when they win. So there's that. <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah, we all we all have our weird sports things, I guess. So anyway. Yeah, I do a podcast and yeah. it's fun. So you should go listen to those episodes, the thirty-eight that uh, Lady Wan's been on, and of course the <laughs> Ghostbusters two episode that Chris was on. There you go. I I've heard great things. My uh, grandmother called me and she's like, "I heard you on Cheap Seat talking about Ghostbusters too, and I thought it was wonderful, nice. and that you should try doing more of that, like on your own show." And I said. Grandma, you've been dead for three years. This is very odd, yeah. but thank you. Well, how fitting that she listened the to the Ghostbusters episode. Exactly. Oh, yeah, that, was very, that was very fitting. <laughs> Show me ask you a question. Yeah. Is it about movies or thoughts Canada? On quantum that's... mechanics. No, I'm going to say, what is your history with the auteur, John Carpenter, and specifically Big Trouble in Little China? Uh, so John Carpenter, as, uh, uh, as a creator, I, I actually have a pretty limited experience with him for no other reason than... I just have. I, I didn't grow up watching John Carpenter films and think, in fact, I think the first one that I saw of his was because we had HBO growing up and I think mm-hmm. Escape from LA had just come out. So it was on like repeat at uh, on uh-huh. HBO on Friday nights at you know 10 p.m. or something. And so I, <laughs> I, I watched that movie probably seven or eight times. Because it was ridiculous as a as a as a you know as a child of the uh, of the nineties as I am because I think we're all roughly the same age I think. Oh, I wish. Uh, well, I, I, I don't know. I'm I'm forty, so there you go. That was kind of my first experience was was Escape from L.A., which was ninety six. So I would have been fourteen. Yeah, that math that math. I think that math works. Sure. Yeah, sure. 
Yeah, I was uh, having my first legal beer oh. at that age. Oh. Thank you. Very okay, much. so you're a couple you're a couple minutes older than I am. That's fine. Juan, what about you? How old are you in uh, '96? Is that all right? Can I ask you that? Is that an appropriate question? To yeah. Ask a lady? No, that's fine. I was in fifth grade. Okay. Thanks. So we're yeah. we know roughly the same age. <laughs> old enough yeah, to we're... old enough to marry a youth pre- a youth pastor. Good for you. <laughs> If you're following the news, sorry, is that uh, too timely? Yeah. Let's move on. No, no, that's fine. That's fine. I, I am just if, to to bring it back to this one. I am the oh, same yeah. age as this movie. Um, this movie uh, entered the world just a few weeks. Well, I guess a month before I did. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I, wow. I, I I'm wrong. <laughs> my first, the oh. first movie I saw of his was Starman. Ah! <laughs> I. Uh, uh, yeah, I I saw that when I was a kid too, and I didn't know what I, I talked about it on our last episode. But I didn't know what I was watching because I missed the beginning. I didn't know it was an alien, and I saw it on TV, and I was just like, hmm. And it's I didn't know until years later it was a John Carpenter. Yeah, I I honestly just remembered that because I'm looking at his IMDb page. I watched it. I watched Starman three or four times as a kid. I still have no idea what the movie's about. I, I need to rewatch it. I, <laughs> it's I, lovely. You do. Yeah, I just know that it had uh, it had Jeff Bridges in it. Yes. Like, that's all yeah. I remember uh, from it. He is the star man. Yeah, yep. yeah. So, to, so back to your point, <laughs> though, about John Carpenter. So, I, I don't really have a whole lot of, of experience with him. I, I watched, again, Escape from L.A., and then okay. and then since then, uh, I've only watched, again, excluding Starman, because I don't remember enough of it to say that I've seen it. Since then, I've only I've right. watched uh, Halloween. Please say it. The okay. original Halloween. <laughs> Give it to me. And then Come Escape on. from New York. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. One more. <laughs> Big Trouble in Little China. Uh-huh. Uh, memoirs of an Invisible Man. I'm still not hearing a particular <laughs> movie, but okay, hey, continue. I'm, I'm fascinated that Memoirs popped and this other movie hasn't yet. Keep uh, going. Have I seen Ghosts of Mars? Is that where they go to? Nope, not what I want to hear. <laughs> Keep going. Is that where they actually go to Mars and they have to fight weird things or something? Yeah. I, I haven't watched no. it yet. No, I haven't seen that. Okay, uh, it was Mission to Mars. I saw, and then okay, give me one. More. Nope, that's it. <laughs> I have never seen the thing. Going to lose it. I haven't seen the there thing. Is. I haven't seen Assault on what? Precinct Thirteen. Precinct Thirteen. Oh. I know. I haven't seen the fog. I just haven't seen oh. it. because, frankly, you have. I haven't seen They Live either. I, I get it. It's I get just it. I, I can, haven't either. I just those. We haven't I just, there yet. I just missed them, and then it, it got to a point where I was like, well. I'll just watch it for the podcast. So, yeah. <laughs> because I watched Big Trouble in Little China for the podcast. Now, Halloween I watched in college because a friend of mine was like, "You have to watch this movie." Yeah, and so I was like, "Okay," seminal. and I loved it. I really loved uh, Halloween, and I don't really do horror very much. I guess maybe that may be the uh, yeah answer. Yeah. <laughs> so, I don't normally like insult your guests, right? <laughs> no, well, he, no, he no, does. that at all oh, okay. <laughs> please. But I don't normally like attack people or, or say stuff like, "How have you not seen movie X?" Because yeah. there's stuff like I haven't like I hadn't seen Citizen Kane up until about two years. Still ago. haven't seen it, right? So there are some films like that, like Citizen Kane, that feel like homework, yeah, right? Because it's yeah. classic. You feel like you have to see it, blah blah blah. Um, but I guess it's if you're a '90s guy, I guess. I mean, yeah, again, I was born in '82, but like I don't remember the '80s. You know what I'm saying? Like the 80s yeah, didn't see, form that was, my identity. The that 90s, was my f- yeah, yeah, yeah. That my for- my formative years were all in the 80s. The thing is such a 
And I think mostly probably what due to home video at this point. Sure. Yeah. But there's such mm-hmm. a cultural touchstone in horror. I mean, like I've, I've said many times on this show and on my other show, you know, that the thing is my favorite horror film and one of my favorite films of all time. Mm-hmm. It is so, it's just a perfect movie. So it's, but if you're not a horror fan and you miss the, the window in time type of a thing, right? And I guess that's, that's fine. I would just implore you. <laughs> no, again, and it, if it, you enjoy Carpenter's work in any capacity, yeah. the thing is his masterpiece. I mean, it, and I, and I, I don't use that word lightly. I no, don't. sure. Uh, and I do, I will watch it and I want to watch it. It has, it has, I do want to make some very weird, uh, very clear. I have a, um, a, a strange pet peeve. And I feel like I might have stepped into it. And I want to make sure that I, that I don't, because uh, if anyone that listens to this really knows me, they're gonna they're gonna call me out. I yeah. get so mad at people that use I didn't experience <laughs> I haven't experienced X, whether it's a movie or music or whatever, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because I was born at this time. Right? There's yeah. quite literally no yeah. reason. That I haven't seen the thing. Like I can't use that because because I was born in '82 and the movie came out in '82. No, that's not. I'm trying to give you. That's an out. not an out. My what I was trying okay. to say <laughs> is that no, no. For me, it was just it wasn't a movie I was ever interested in. I didn't even know about it until I got to probably college, and and college was about that's the fair. time where I started getting into horror ish, like horror light, mm-hmm. right? Because again, Halloween was the was in was in college. Uh, high school, like yeah. senior year, was I was introduced to the Evil Dead. Nice. But, okay. But like that kind of horror is my jam. You just got some points because back. it's ridiculous and like there's nothing scary about it at all. I also think the first one you're talking about the tree the scene is one. pretty unnerving, but it's not scary because I know it's just a couple dudes off camera with sticks poking her. You know. I feel yeah. like it's scary, man. It, Probably more. I, I, I watched you that as a, really young though too. Yeah, I was I was in so high school. That, was, yeah, I, I was in high yeah, school. Yeah, I watched it. So like thirteen. I was 12. a grown woman and I was scared. I think of it. there's. It might be different <laughs> also because you're a woman. Like the idea of being violated yeah, by trees. Like, this is terrifying. Yeah. Again, it, to me, it's yeah, like. So it, it's that's just Sam Raimi off to the side poking her with a stick. You know. So you're more of an Evil Dead Two Shaun of the Dead guy when it comes to horror. Is yes. that what you're saying? Or? Yes, Shaun of the Dead. My right now, my favorite horror film right now would be Doctor Sleep. Well, that's not funny. I mean, well, it has some humorous moments, but it's, it's not. not. But for me, it's um, it's really well made. It's very psychological. But to your point, as far as the horror genre, you're right. Shaun of the mm-hmm. Dead. That kind of schlocky horror is kind of where I live. Cause, but I have seen The Ring. I have seen mm. The Grudge. Texas Chainsaw. I Massacre. don't remember. I know I watched it. Somebody made me watch uh-huh. it in college, and it it bothered. It was the Matthew McConaughey one, I think. Oh no! I mean that. No. Yeah, I know. I know. I just. I, I mean. I know. But again, th- those. I mean, that's not. It's the movie has its charms. I will not say it, it doesn't. But when I'm talking about like, I'm kind of going through my head just the the pantheon. Of horror, yeah, yeah, films, right. The Shining, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So the Shining, um, the thing, I hated the Shining. The Shining was awful. The Exorcist, <laughs> to me, to me, you, I you? hated it. I was bored. There's nothing scary and in the you Shining. Love Doctor Sleep. I love Doctor Sleep because Doctor Sleep to me is interesting, interesting, and there's there, there's a lot of things that play. The Shining is literally just one guy who goes crazy. There's only one. There's only two deaths in the movie. One is. Scatman Carruthers, who drives all the way across the country to just immediately die. Like, what was the point of him even coming? 
There was, right. I think, Sean, you and I need to have, we need to offside this internet. I would love to have like, to like a, a special thing where you and I just debate the merits of The Shining for like an it's hour. It's a beautifully I mean, I, shot I could, film. I, I would love to have it's a, a special It's a beautifully feature. shot film. I know what Kubrick <laughs> is doing. It's just a boring thing. It's self-important. And Jack. It's all atmosphere. And, it's all. And Jack is defeated by an eight-year-old. The villain is killed, is defeated by a kid with some snow. Like it's the worst. It's so bump, so boring. So back to your back to your list of the Pantheon. Because of the podcast, though, I have since watched Halloween, Halloween two. Yeah, I, I've watched the two of the new three, the new the new trilogy. Um, I loved. I actually really liked mm-hmm. Halloween, the, the new Halloween. I, I really I did, did too, not yeah. like Halloween Kills. Um, I haven't seen the third one yet. I just just haven't seen it. Again, we'll do it for the show. We just recently started doing the Nightmare on Elm Street movies. Oh, that's a mixed bag. So yeah, so yeah. tomorrow uh, yeah. for <laughs> my show when we record, we're recording episode uh, Night uh, Nightmare on Elm Street three. That's probably the best one outside of the. First and I had one. a good time with it. There's nothing scary about it. It's just a good time because to me that's campy, kind of schlocky. I mean, a TV kills a girl. Like how like I. <laughs> and it was funny because when I watched it, I was like, "Oh my god, that's the meme!" Because I've seen that, I've seen that gift like a thousand times. I had mm. no idea it was from this movie. So like, I, I paused well, the movie and took yeah. a picture of it. I was like, "Guys, this is what I was like." The Leonardo DiCaprio <laughs> gift. I was like, "Yeah, that's the thing," you know. I don't know if you drink at all, but you may want to consider it when you get to the final nightmare, which is the nadir of that entire franchise. I think it. I think it's even worse than the remake. It's horrible. well, we will do it. We we uh, we have a, a a deal with. Are you going to do the remake? We're going to do all of them. We uh we're okay. we're, we're we paired That's with commitment. um, a podcaster named Lindsay Washburn. Oh yeah, I know. Lindsay. Yeah, Lindsay. Yay! So she's uh she's our guide through the nightmare oh, on Elm my. Street. Uh, she's she's holding our hand as we go through it. We also recently Love did. It. Excuse me, Paranormal Activity. Okay, and that scared the shit out of me. I like the first two. I you couldn't pay me to watch any more okay. of them. I mean the the first one gave me nightmares. Yeah, I can't, I can't do like, this. It legit gave me nightmares. So like I said, you couldn't pay me to that. So, but I still have never seen a Friday the Thirteenth. I haven't seen any that I haven't seen what? any of them. Just those slasher movies just never appealed to me at all. Um, you know, if I, if as a gang I was going to just leave the call. <laughs> <laughs> Freddy, I mean Freddy. Jason's my favorite out of all sure. of them because he's just an unstoppable killing machine. That's all he does. And I think I actually had a conversation. I think with um, what's that really disturbingly good-looking guy on binge movies? Yeah, I, either way. Um, uh, about yeah, can't think of it. On um, uh, out of the series, like with Nightmare and Halloween and Friday, that mm-hmm. Friday the Thirteenth I think is the best because it's the most consistent. Mm-hmm. So, though I think Nightmare and Halloween have better individual films. There's mm-hmm. nothing in the Friday the Thirteenth franchise that is as bad. As like Final Nightmare <laughs> or as um, like those what Halloween five sixes or what Resurrection? What's the one where they're doing the the reality TV show? Oh. Either way, oh, nothing. It's it's consistently solid throughout the whole run. Yeah, unlike the other ones that have really really the other bad. Ones got ones. like peaks and valleys, and and yeah. uh, you know yeah. Friday just none of them are as good as Nightmare one uh, or Halloween the first Halloween, but they're consistently better that's cool. so that's interesting yeah. what was I, I was gonna ask you oh halloween you didn't say halloween three so i'm assuming you haven't no. seen it <laughs> okay 
What are your thoughts on Big Trouble in Little China? Yeah, well, what's your? I know. Um, I'm sorry. I kind of hijacked our show or your show here for the first twenty. No, minutes. I did. Oh, that's fine. I pulled this off. That's I dogleg this, not yeah. you. Uh, we, we sidebar into other felt, movies consistently. I felt like some kind of pain deep in my soul. I had to explore, <laughs> so I apologize. No, that's fair. Your history with Big Trouble, so, please, and we can maybe yes. get back to this other. Crisis. Well, again, so very similar to the, kind of my other ones was that it was a movie I had heard of, I hadn't seen until we decided to do it for the podcast, and uh, also a movie that's kind of filled with um, kind of funny gifs and memes and stuff like like when the guy uh, Thunder is about to blow up, you know, and like everything's like <laughs> like I've seen that I've seen that picture a thousand times, and I didn't know where it was from until I saw this movie and. And so, so I've only seen this movie. Uh, I saw the one time for my show, and then actually now for this mm-hmm. show. So I've only seen it twice. Uh, and the funny part yeah. was, okay, a couple nights ago when I went to to watch it, I go to Amazon because I have you know, I have to rent it right. <laughs> and so I go to go to Amazon, yeah. rent for three ninety nine, or buy for four ninety nine. Well, I should just go ahead and buy oh. it for four ninety nine. Right. And my wife goes, "Are you ever going to watch this again?" I said, "I don't know, maybe." I might get on another podcast and they want to talk about this movie, but I don't want to ever have to rent it again, so I might as well just buy it. She goes, eh, I guess it's only yeah. an extra buck. So I, I now own Big Trouble in Little China, the digital copy. Was it? A, are you happy it's, with that? Sure. Yeah. You'll watch it again. I, I mean, I, again, I might. I don't know. It's not a movie that, I mean, maybe when my son gets old enough, I can watch it with him. Yeah. It's just one of those uh, things. Yeah. So, so my history with it really isn't very, very steeped. I don't have... You know, I, I I put on Twitter like, "Hey, I'm yeah. I'm doing this movie with this this awesome podcast." You know, like, give me your uh, out of ten, and <laughs> people love this movie. I mean, they do. It has an audience. <laughs> yeah, this passionate yeah. audience. It's uh, yeah. which is really interesting to me because because it's wild. Because like I so when I, I told you guys I watched Escape from L.A. first, that was the first one that I watched, and uh, yeah. and it's a bad movie. I mean, it's objectively a bad movie, but I have a good time with it. <laughs> like, there's something oddly fun about Bruce Campbell as this crazy doctor with the, the prosthetics all over his face. And oh, you're, you're so close. It sounds condescending. I apologize, Sean. I, I, it's like it's, you are so close <laughs> to getting what that movie is all about with that. Well, cause it's, and then I think it, you could unlock that door and then you'd be, you'd be, you'd see like, Oh, this is what Carp's doing with this. This is really smart. Yeah, it's, it's a good it's a good time. Again, that, there's a reason why I watched it multiple times, and not just because it was yeah. the only thing on. <laughs> you know, sur- surfing a tidal wave right. is ridiculous, <laughs> but it's a good time. So when I went and watched Escape from New York for the first time, I have to admit I was a little disappointed. That must have been confusing. Yeah, it's, like what? It's kind of a confusing movie. <laughs> I was a little bored because the second one is so yeah. over the top. That I was expecting the escape to New York to be along the same whatever. Now, that's obviously, I didn't know it at the time walking into it because Escape from LA had a significantly larger budget, you know, mm-hmm. things like that. But, you know, it didn't have, uh, it wasn't quite nearly as ridiculous, but it was still, it's still a good time. I feel like, uh, I think, I don't, this, yeah. maybe Chris isn't going to invite me back on his show. <laughs> no, uh, honestly, Sean, I did not care for Escape from New York the way I thought I was going to. Like I, it was so built up in my head. It's one of my dad's favorite movies. And then I was watching it. I was like, I'm a little bit bored. I got to be honest. I was a little bit bored. And um, I, I much prefer this movie to Escape from New York. I'm just going to say it. I do. I think that's accurate. Yeah. I think this is a better film than Escape <laughs> from New York. I have no qualms with that. 
I was just going to ask, uh, at, at the completion of your season, are you going to kind of rank your uh, all of the carp like where you would put them in order? Oh, yeah. Oh, the queen of charts. Well. God, I love a chart. <laughs> yes. So we have been recording scores for everything, every episode, myself, Chris, and our guests. So the guest line is going to be a little... A little out there because it's mostly a different person every week. So, um, but they all get plotted together. But yes, there will be charts and then there will be uh, an additional rank my Russells, which is like an addendum to the overall Carpenter uh, charts where I have already started to identify some different parameters that I want to rank my Russells based on because it can't just be like which one's my favorite. It's got to be like, Who's the coolest? Who's the funniest? Who's the smartest? Who's the most attractive out of, you know, the Russells that we're getting in this? So I, I will be and I'm taking suggestions. If you have a, a ranking for how you want me to rank my Russells, I will gladly do it. So. <laughs> rank your Russells. I love it. Yeah. So, yes, there will be a. OK. That's a cool. chart. Yeah. <laughs> because because maybe yeah. at the end of this episode, uh, uh I almost feel like I, I, I feel <laughs> obligated to tell you how I would rank the handful that I've seen. You know, like, oh, sure. like where I would oh, put yes. this Absolutely. one let's, in, let's... The, uh, in the pantheon of John Carpenter. <laughs> Again, of the ones that I've seen. When we, when we get to the end, let's definitely yeah, yeah. Let's get, let's get your, your list. Sean's definitive yeah. ranking of like five John Carpenter movies. We will, <laughs> we will do that. And if you ever do discuss the thing for your show... Please, I know it's going to kill your ratings, but please don't hesitate to reach out to me to to, to, to guest. I, I got know. you. So let me just tell you guys about my long and storied history with this film. I saw it in September of 2021 for the first time. Um, <laughs> I did not know anything about it, but I did know it existed because it has been hanging in one of my closest friends' living room. The poster of this movie has been in his living room for, God, uh, 10 years? 10 years now? So that was kind of my only reference point for it was it is in one of my closest friends' living room alongside a painting of Vigo the Carpathian. That is what is in his living room. And I was just like, okay, cool. And finally saw it in 2021 and then watched it again to get ready for this and that is my history with big trouble little china um also just been watching the music video for <laughs> the end credit song wow um on a loop today that's that's a choice Good for you i i have a hard time not saying like big trouble every time i say the name of the movie <laughs> it's so Oh my god, it's it's so funny. We'll get yeah. we'll get to the yeah. music. We'll get to the music. But first, let me just briefly give a little summary of this movie, how it came to be, and then we will dive into what exactly is going down. So IMDB describes this movie as a rough and tumble trucker and his sidekick face off with an ancient sorcerer in a supernatural battle beneath Chinatown. So we'll give it that. Let me just quickly explain how this movie came to be. So the original version of the screenplay was written by Gary Goldman and David Z. Weinstein, and they wrote it as a Western set in the 1880s with Jack Burton being a cowboy whose horse, not truck, was stolen. Uh, they submitted their script to producers in the summer of 82. It was bought and the producers, Paul Monash and Keith Barish, were like, can you keep rewriting this? Rewrite, rewrite, rewrite. They 
really did not like it being in the 1880s, but the writers did not want to change that. They didn't want it to be a contemporary story and basically kind of came to a head and the studio was like, well, we already bought your script, so we don't really care what you think, so you can go. And they got a script doctor, W.D. Richter, who really changed it significantly. He obviously modernized the story, but most of what they had originally put in, like the the outline is still there, but he got rid of a lot of it. Um, he kept Lopan's story, though. So that that stayed the same. Um, he did his version of the script in about 10 weeks. And um, there was like some back and forth with the WGA had to get involved to make sure that the original writers got the written by credit and then Richter got the adapted by. Beyond modernizing it, he strengthened the character of Gracie Law. Uh, He cut out some action scenes that would have been too expensive to shoot well, and he eliminated scenes that were offensive. So um, hooray for him and his changes. So that was kind of how the story came to be into the film that we have. And uh, John Carpenter in particular, we talked about earlier in the season, his love for Howard Hawks. And um, he really enjoyed kind of the back and forth, the little snappy dialogue between Jack and Gracie. So that was definitely something that appealed to him in the project. And yet again, we have uh, this this time it was from the original screenwriters, but a movie that was originally intended to be a Western, which is what we had with Assault on Precinct 13, which was way, way back in the season. So as far as getting this into production, so I read that both Clint Eastwood and Jack Nicholson were considered for the role of Jack. Do you think that's for real? Because that seems insane to me. To me, that seems like one of those IMDb. (laughs) Like, it couldn't be. Right? That somebody just added? That it can't possibly no, be that, true. That seems like one of those IMDb things that just, yeah. Well, I mean, it's on Wikipedia, so it has to be true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I read it and I was like, no. No, this can't be. But what I do believe is that for the role of Wang, um, John Carpenter really wanted Jackie Chan. But the Lawrence Gordon, the producer, didn't think his English was good enough. And there's just some other differences at play. So Dennis Dunn ends up being our Wang who is realistically like yeah. the hero <laughs> in the movie. So uh, yeah, let's let's get into this film. Kurt Russell, uh, you know, was doing his best kind of Clint Eastwood in Escape from New York, and uh, right now he is intensely John Wayne, but incompetent, and and I love it. <laughs> it's <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's a fun character. So so let's dive in. Chris, did you did you watch uh, the film with the commentary as you are? often to do so i did but first i'd like to point out <laughs> that i have not shared yes. my history with this film as of yet oh i'm so sorry <sighs> please do so <laughs> anyway <laughs> i wish you would have said that earlier so this would You're have been easier for me to edit no, just let it, it doesn't matter <laughs> time is dilated it doesn't mean anything people will roll with it we spent the first 20 minutes yeah. talking about other movies i think we're gonna yeah. be all right <laughs> This why I love Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Let's talk about it. Yes, no. back to it. Let's dive in. No, I watched this um, much like Sean on uh, the HBOs though back in the day. Like him was Escape from uh, L.A. This was was on kind of in a mm-hmm. constant rotation for me there. And uh, I was a young formative, I think uh, uh, mid mid teens when this hit the uh, the service there, the home box office. And I loved it because it, it was just kind of cartoony, <laughs> kind of corny, yeah. but fun action adventure film. 
and uh, I have basically bought it on most medias as it's been available. <laughs> uh, I have not upgraded to the Scream Factory Blu-ray though. I have because I bought the uh, okay. I think the Universal, the 20th Century Fox, excuse me, Blu-ray that came out first. I did not upgrade this because okay. I'm basically hanging tight. Yeah. On a 4K at some point, I'm hoping. And I will buy it again <laughs> yeah. then. And I did recently just buy the soundtrack as well. There was a, a sale Ooh. over there at the, um, what do they call it there? What's that company called? You all know what it is, everybody. Sure you do. La La Land Records. You think you'd know because you, you love La La Land. Yeah, it's right. Limited right to, um, only I think it is 3,000 copies, folks. Where you get the original soundtrack as well as some bonus cues and cut stuff and more. And you know what, too? There's, there's, I think, the other versions of the Big Trouble in Little China theme that I should uh, <gasps> burn, rip and uh, send over to you. Yes, please. Either way. So, yeah, I love this film as a kid. But I, what's funny is that I didn't really get it up until like maybe 10 years yeah. ago or so, what was really <laughs> happening in the movie. I just thought it was kind of this goofy, fun little movie. Yeah. But um, that maybe wasn't as successful as I thought it was because I was, you know, all uh, pretentious and up on my own, up in my own, up my own butt with that stuff back then. But <laughs> I, you know, I appreciate uh, over the last 10, 15 years, really understanding what this film is really about and then watching yeah. it with the commentary like I did this time as well, which I had never had done previously. Um, got some more insights. I got to tell you, few directors commentary pairs spark me as much with as much joy as john carpenter and kurt russell basically drinking smoking Aww. and then just talking about a movies for about an hour and a half it is a fun <laughs> experience so i would highly recommend it if you if you're a commentary fan at all lots of little tidbits about the movie mm. inside trivia you know stuff maybe they, they dance around certain things too that they don't want to name names on stuff. Um, talking about mm -hmm. directing, acting. Kurt Russell has a very interesting take on method acting. You know, lots of fun little tidbits oh. like that. So it's it's well worth your time to listen to. And the stuff that pops out, I will uh, let you know. But yeah, so that's my history. I've always really enjoyed this film. And I was very excited to uh, revisit it. So thank you for that. Yeah. Screen run. Thank you for sharing. And listeners. <laughs> So I look at Big Trouble as the beginning of Carpenter's second arc. This is the film okay. that drove him out of uh, studio work, of big time kind of mass studio work, because yeah. it tanked again. Yep. So it cost him about, what, 19 to 25 mil to make, says to the Wikipedia, which again must be true. And it took in yep. about 11.1. <laughs> it did not do well. Yeah. But mm -mm. much like a lot of Carpenter's films, thank God for the invention of uh, home video. It took yes. off from there and has since become a cult film. A lot of people who love this movie absolutely adore it. And I am one of those people. <laughs> Carpenter is really leaning into it with this one. As like I said, because he has a run of films after this that are like, you know, because listen, I'm not the biggest fan of Christine. I'm not the biggest fan of Starman. But I think we have Big Trouble, and we go to Prince of Darkness, and we have They Live, and then things start to kind of dip again. But this <laughs> second kind of crest is, I think, an, yeah. is just a, a run of films that I think are all-timers. I don't know, the last gasp of the fantastic decade that is the 80s for me. And mm. you don't see, I think, movies like this anymore, really, either, that smartly do not take themselves that seriously. Like the whole conceit of the film, right? Is that Kurt Russell is the sidekick who thinks he's yeah. the hero. 
because he looks like exactly Kurt <laughs> and one of the things like i read online too someone's like it describes a character as indiana jones who's constantly in over his head and has no idea what yeah. he's doing and it's just mm-hmm. the the bumbling arrogance that he has because he's he's perfectly cast i could not re- recast this i don't think you can do it and no. there have been talks no. about remaking it or doing a sequel uh Maybe you could get away with a sequel. I I don't think so. But remake is I think is an impossibility because I think Russell is so Should perfectly cast because he has the hero hero looks right. He's completely mm-hmm. affable, dumb, charming, and just an absolute I don't know just moron bumbling his way through this whole thing. <laughs> and it is hilarious and it's crazy to me how effective this film work is, how well it works. I'm just shocked by it. If you think of it, like, Sean, what do you th- I want to ask you th- thoughts about this. Because if you think, one of the critiques I've read about this movie is that the problem is that there's never really, you don't feel like anybody's ever in any danger. I think it's a fair critique, but it's kind of one of the points of the movie as well, is that it's you're not supposed to really look at it that way. But what are your thoughts about yeah. something like that? that yeah, like, this isn't a horror film. This isn't the movie where the team goes and does the thing and then they get picked off one at a time. Like, that's not what right. this movie is, nor do I think it's ever portrayed that way. So yeah. the fact that no one's in any danger endears itself to me personally. And I get made fun of this because of this on my podcast by my co-host all the time. I don't watch sad TV, <laughs> right? Maybe one day I'll watch The yeah. Last of Us. Maybe. But I gave up on Game of Thrones after two seasons. I never watched The Walking Dead. I never watched Breaking Bad. I didn't. I don't watch sad TV. I watch shows like Psych, and Leverage, and yeah. The West Wing, and things like that. Yeah. Like, no mm-hmm. one is in danger in those shows ever. Like, especially Psych. I mean, Psych. Every day that they, they go solve a crime, someone's pointing a gun at them <laughs> in nearly every episode. But they're also kind of bumbling bad guys, <laughs> and they can talk their way out of it. Like, no one is ever in any danger. Yeah. So. Burn Notice was my show for that. Burn yeah. Notice is this, of the same ilk, right? It's of exactly. the same, you know, where like the guy has an impossible thing he's got to do and then he does it and then Bruce Campbell drinks some beers and says some one-liners and it's fine. So, so, so if someone says, oh, this is a bad movie because of that, I say, no, it's a good movie because of that. I, I Seriously, <laughs> I am okay with the fact that in in the alley scene when there are multiple people with with automatic weapons that one none of the bullets hit the truck which there would have you know sure. that that windshield would have been swiss cheese and i'm also okay with people just falling down and that other stuff is nonsense to me i this it, this movie is so fun how can you be mad at this movie it's so cartoonish like you said chris like i think that's a great word to describe it because if you, you know, you watch any sort of like action programming for yep. kids, like if you were a kid and you watch like Ninja Turtles or something and it's like, well, no, of course, nobody's really in any danger. It's OK. Like, like you said, Sean, we don't need to have like a huge group of people who get picked off one by one till we're down to just our hero and, you know, the girl and the sidekick at the end. Like, no, we can just tell the other two people to just stay home. This is too dangerous for you to come with us. And then yeah. nobody has to get yeah, hurt. And he doesn't even so, end up with I, the girl. Yeah. I mean, another no. great thing. <laughs> no, that's that's how you know Wang is our hero is because he gets the yep. girl. The, He's the one who's got a wife at the end of this. The, the one thing that I also <laughs> liked, because Carpenter is kind of subverting some other tropes. And the one trope that he subverts, mm-hmm. which I 
really appreciate is this isn't the typical movie where you need a white guy to win. Right. It is the white savior thing. Yeah, that does not happen here. Which happens a lot yeah. in movies, in Hollywood movies. Especially then. Um, All the time. In the 80s. Yeah. So like this, this, like literally yeah. everything in this movie could have been exactly the same if Kurt Russell, if, if he's not in the movie. You know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> everything else could have happened yeah. kind of the same way. And he takes himself out of the scenarios half the time yeah. as well. <laughs> like you said, because he's bumbling. Like like when, uh, when yeah. Wang starts doing you know yeah. really good kung fu and he's like bumbling trying to get his knife. And he throws it away, it away by accident. Mm-hmm. Or, or, and then he, he comes back in and he's ready to fight and like, he's, he's done, which was a great gag. Like, I thought it was hysterical. It's such a good yeah. gag. Oh, I... I cackled out loud when he shoots the gun into the air and the the kind of ceiling falls down and knocks out and i've seen it before and absolutely cackled out loud as it happened because it's just it's exactly what you said carpenter is like turning the trope around where it's not our white hero with uh, a minority sidekick you know and then he the white hero gets the girl at the end of the day like Kurt Russell is the sidekick. The only thing that makes you not think that is because he looks like Kurt Russell and he has the bravado of a hero, but he has nothing else that a hero needs. All he has is the hero attitude. He is not the strongest one. He's not the smartest one. He's not the one who knows what should be done at any point. He just has all the confidence of a hero. <laughs> Could you imagine if it. they if they had done Star Wars like this? Like Chewie is actually the hero and Harrison Ford is the sidekick. Because I mean, you have to the think about work. it. In '82, <laughs> Kurt Russell was a was a name. In, yeah. in by this point, right? He was he had already done the thing and Escape from New York, and I'm sure a handful of other mm-hmm. like he yeah. like. There's a reason why he is in the middle of the poster. Yeah, I mean, it, I don't think it would work as well if it was like some random white guy who yeah. you've never heard of before, because then you you wouldn't kind of buy into it. Because like that's kind of the experience of the movie, right? Is you're you're watching it thinking it's going to be like any other kind of '80s action adventure movie, and then every time you think it's going to zig it zags, where he throws a knife, he knocks himself out. He gets caught. That's just that's the fun of it all. Because if it if it didn't present that way to trick you into thinking it's going to be like all the others, then the subversion wouldn't really hit as well. I'm looking at the movie poster right now. I like to look at the the movie posters. Oh, it's a fantastic poster. Hence my friend having it's it framed in his fantastic living room. and awful at the same time <laughs> because it's because oh, it's no, uh because it. it's a uh, because it's a painting. Yeah, it's true stars. Yeah, well, that's yeah. a whole. It's a yeah, that's of it's the a time. Painting. Like I zoomed in, Kurt Russell is. It's a different human than, than Kurt Russell. It's, I know it's, it's, it's art. Like, like I said, yeah. it's both great and also I love the <laughs> fact that the two guns, the two guns, McGee from the beginning of the movie is on the poster. He's only in the movie for about five minutes at the beginning, yeah. but he made the poster, so good for him. There you go. Yeah. Also, again, still looking at the poster. In the bottom right, kind of underneath <laughs> James Hong's uh, sleeve there, his left sleeve, it's like a, it's almost like a Goonies feel, right? Where they're walking across like the, the, the bridge there and they got flashlights. It's very, very Goonies feeling for me. Uh, it's it is art. art. I, it's that just would so be cool, a, If I collected posters, <laughs> uh, that would be one to have. Uh, I used to uh, work with a gentleman who collecting movie posters for him is... I mean, it's serious business. <laughs> um, and like you have, yeah. uh, Lady Wan, you have a handful of them, you know, framed behind you. 
yes. For him, they're not. So in his living room is just, you know, uh, shelves, like you would buy it like Lowe's. Mm-hmm. And he's got bins. And then in the bins, he has labeled the posters. And they they never see the light of wow. day. Wow. They get wrapped up, wow. wrapped in plastic and then put in one of those plastic tubes and then put in there. Gosh. How would you? I don't understand that. You'd want that's to crazy. And that's what I said. I, yes. I, I want get to protective glass frames and stuff. I, I, I've made that same argument. I said, it's like having art, but you put it away. And he goes, yeah. because but, right. to him, it's, it's an investment. Yeah, but, right. that's, that's how he looks at it, I guess. Well, then he could buy like a cheap reproduction of it and hang those ones so, up. You know, he's. <laughs> I know, and, and I, and he's, it's the same thing with the comics too. He has, he has easily. Mm. I mean, this is not a, an exaggeration. He probably has. Um, I'm going to use the you know worth and value are two different things, right? You know, like sure. what what worth is what right. someone is willing to pay for it, right? So he has paid. He has spent over the mm-hmm. course of his lifetime. Roughly eighteen to twenty thousand dollars investing in comic books. Now, to him, the value is more, right? Because he he literally plans to sell them yeah. as part of his retirement package. When he's ready to do that, he'll sell them for this big payout. Because the last big collection mm-hmm. went for like one point seven million dollars, and that's his goal is to have that kind of thing. Ooh. And I said, you're assuming that comic books are going to continue to appreciate and value and he says they appreciate at a higher rate than gold so if they're the right ones i think that's barring any kind of economic yeah because that's never happened before yeah well (laughs) now granted when i always say to that is like granted that we'll all be fighting over potable water in 15 years anyway so i don't know if we're really gonna be but yeah sure anyway sorry once again i I sidetracked you know it's nice to plan but back to portrait of blade on fire That's art. Have you seen that poster? No. <laughs> That's one poster I need to own. Yeah. I don't, I've not bought it yet. Yeah, you do. I love that poster. You do. It is so stark <laughs> and beautiful and uh, yeah, incredible. I know. You need that poster. What ends up being the silhouette of the two women right yeah. after the kiss. It's so beautiful. So <laughs> anyway, one of the things I love about this yes. film too is that just how much how much fun it is. Right, the whole thing feels like a, yes. and you feel like everybody's having fun on it. Russell and Carpenter confirmed that in the commentary. Russell says it was like one of the most fun <laughs> shoots he ever had, and I think it's it's unbridled kind of eighties fun. There's still an innocence in this film. Mm-hmm. It's weird. Sometimes I'll watch stuff and I can feel a palpable, you know, lack of cynicism in something yeah. that I kind of sign to almost. I don't know if this is just me being full of full of BS. Um, kind of like a pre nine eleven thing where everything is still hopeful, things people still believe stuff, everything's okay, and there mm-hmm. is a naivete to that that I appreciate, especially I guess for middle class white folks like me. The eighties were like basically wonderful for the most part. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, but that film kind of <laughs> it has that kind of feel throughout the whole thing that I absolutely adore. Just like Sean said, there that that sense of nobody's ever really in danger. It's all it's all yeah. part of that. And yeah. what I love, too, is that there are a few things in this film that I think in the hands of somebody else wouldn't work, right? And I'm going to mm-hmm. – I want because I want to play you a clip because I want to talk about this because I want to shout out to Kim Cattrall in this film because she is given mm-hmm. some lines of dialogue that would kill, I think, some actors. I mean, listen to this. How, how She has to deliver this. And make us believe it. 
I'm going now, alone if I have to. What? Where? It's pouring out. Lopans, the Wing Kong Exchange. The Wing Kong Exchange? The most dangerous cutthroat den of madmen in Chinatown. You can't just waltz in and out of there like... Like the wind. <laughs> right? So the, just the exposition yeah. in that. And she has to do that like three or four times yeah. in this A movie. A lot, yeah. And she nails it every time. She's fantastic. I think that Crow was right about everything she ever said about Kim Cattrall. Kim Cattrall, Kim Cattrall, Kim, 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 Kim Cattrall. You were in Mannequin, and that was a really good movie. Kim Cattrall, Kim Cattrall, Kim Cattrall, Kim Cattrall. Kim Cattrall, Kim Cattrall, Kim Cattrall, Kim Cattrall, Kim Cattrall. Kim Cattrall, Kim Kim, Kim Cattrall, you've never made a bad film. Oh, what the hell? Ring my bell. Let's go to the Dells. Our relationship will gel. I like your smell. You're really swell. I'm Geraldine Heston for Contel. I love you, Kim. I liked your dress at the Ace Awards. Cattrall! Now, there's a very specific audience for that, that I don't know how many people are going to know what that is. Well, the fact that you said crow told me that that was from Mystery Science Theater 3000. Exactly. He had a massive crush what, on Kim what Cattrall. A joy. And I always <laughs> well, did as well. From uh, Mannequin. Mannequin, yeah. Mannequin. I, I, I learned how to do things because of Mannequin. Hello. She's also our Star Trek connection. <laughs> That's right. You know what's so funny? Oh. When I was making dinner tonight, I popped on Undiscovered Country. Really? Because I, I don't know why. I just like I haven't watched this in a long time. I love this film. So I popped it on. So, uh, yeah, weird. It's it's a Kim Cattrall love fest around here. Yeah. What was I saying? Yeah. So, Kim, again, she's got to do that a bunch yeah. of times. She and is, She yeah. thinks she yeah. nails it. So next, uh, I think, Russell, I think she is, like, the strongest voice in this film. I I was really impressed because she, like, her name is, what's her name again? Gracie Gr- Law. Gracie Law. Law. I mean, and she's a lawyer? Yeah. I mean. <laughs> it's, a, it's a comic book character. Isn't it great? <laughs> I love it. Especially when when you first meet her, like it's it's she's like I'm Gracie Law, attorney at law, and I'm here to to do a thing. Like, oh, okay, I love it. Is yeah, but she commits, and she's genuine about it. Like she, there, this movie is like it's turning tropes on its head. It's aware of what it's doing, but it's never like huh, get it. Like it's never doing that. Yeah. It's never doing that thing. It is very very genuine. In everything that it does, like it's just very sincere yeah, all the way commits. through. Absolutely. Oh yeah. I mean, even just the the you know like the extras that are just there to to yell and to you know fling their swords around. Like everyone is all in. Aliong is great. Mm-hmm. I love it. <laughs> I wish I, I wish he was in it more. I wish he was like a sub boss than than just a guy on the street. Yeah, that'd be good too. Yeah, I think. Like everything we've talked about, I I think that's why it did so well in the test screenings. So when they oh, yeah, when the studio did incredible. test screenings for this movie, it was because because everybody comes out of it being like, that yeah. was a great time. And then uh, studio did not know how to market this, and like they they fumbled it, man. Well, then they say too, like like they they wanted they expected Russell to be more of the traditional hero, right? They didn't quite get right. it initially. It is a an odd film, like for sure. If you you know that one sentence summary IMDb gives it, like it's it's different, but it's just a a good time, and it's so it's such a bummer that the studio did not know how to how to market it. But it also 
was like a, a rough time. <laughs> like it was really up against it. So let me just read the, the box office the weekend that it opened. Um, cause it opened in the week of July 4th, 1986. And this is from the top down. The Karate Kid Part Two is at, at number one. Then Ruthless People. Then Back to School. Then mm. Top Gun. Now the top four movies, none of those came out that week. All of those are multiple weeks in the theater. The top four movies. Then we get The Great Mouse Detective, which I like that. Uh, Psycho 3, Legal Eagles, Running Scared, About Last Night, Under the Cherry Moon, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, which is like seven weeks in or something like that. And then Big Trouble in Little China. This movie came in 12th, the the week wow. that it opened. And what was that half of the movies I read above it had been out for weeks. So it was just an absolutely killer year, especially the summer. Like well, a couple, what came out I think like 12 later. days later, yeah. Aliens comes out. Yeah. Like pff, it ain't happening for you, sir. Like it was a murder's row of movies. Uh, I feel like 1986 is probably the best year for like anything that happened. Oh, so I, you know, was a, a significant part of that. You're welcome, everyone. Uh, shout out to my parents. Um, yeah, it was <laughs> outside of the birth of the pod mommy. Was... What do we call you? Not the pod mommy. What do you call? We call you. I'm blanking on what it is. Oh, I, I feel like podcast mommy keeps is happening. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I think '82 is still my favorite movie year of all time, but '86 is right up there. I've, I've had time. this discussion with people, oddly enough, about like favorite movie year. Seriously, and yeah. yeah. Yeah, and yeah, it's, oh, it's yeah. really interesting because I I have a of course I have an affinity for eighty two for the same reason why she has an affinity for yeah. eighty six, uh, <laughs> but it also has one of my yeah. favorite films ever of Star Trek: Wrath of Khan. Oh, you're getting another. I, I also point look there. at eighty four as a really strong <laughs> as a really strong year with yeah. There's a handful of movies. Ghostbusters. Yeah, Ghostbusters, uh, Indiana Jones two, I think uh, Star Trek three. I can't think of all the top of my head, but it's a good. And year. then of course there's also the argument for. Um, nineteen ninety three. Yep, Forrest Gump it. and Pulp Fiction and Shawshank. Yeah, like, like all oh, the same shit. year. You know, yeah. like any one of those movies should <laughs> so would have won the Oscar in their own year. So uh, really, this movie in particular was was up against it, and like we said, just big old tank at the box office, which we've been talking about going through the season. You know, we talked about the last two films that we discussed were Starman and before that was Christine. And both of those were uh, Carpenter specifically trying to do something different than he did with The Thing because The Thing was so poorly received, both critically and at the box office. And then, you know, he, he knew he nailed it. He knew it. Nobody else knew it. He knew it. And so that like really was was tough and kind of impacted the rest of his career, as did this movie and and how it performed. Like you said, Chris, where he was just like, you know, what, I can't I can't with the studio system. It's not working for me. Yeah. I can exist outside of this. I'm out, especially with Christine. I think you can feel that he's like trying to be different. And I think in this one, this is not so much like I'm trying to be different. This is, you know what? Forget it. I'm just going to do what I want to do. And I'm going to do it the way I want to do it. And I know that the studio interfered and like he didn't get to do everything exactly the way he wanted. But you can still feel again, like like I was saying before, like the sincerity all the way through. This is something that he cared about doing. Yeah. Well, don't and spoil your that, favorite segment. That comes through. We'll, we'll, we'll get there. I, was, I, won't, I won't. But 
Oh. Yeah, no, I think there's a couple really... <laughs> I, Russell mentions this during the commentary, which I thought was really interesting. And he's absolutely right. That Carpenter is one of those directors where you watch like 10 minutes, 5, 10 minutes, and you know you're watching a John Carpenter movie. Even if you go in cold and you have no idea who directed it. And I have that that feel for this too. His economy of shots, and but I think one of the most successful things he ha- he does here is the pacing. I think that mm-hmm. um, there's a, a slew of deleted scenes and extended scenes, and I reviewed all of those as well. And you can tell there some of them are interesting. There's some backstory that we get, like with Gracie, that was interesting. There's a running gag that was cut as well for pacing oh. issues. That's pretty funny, but not in, integral or integral, depending on how you like to say what that it, word. What is it? So you know the scene when they're in her office and she hands him the shake? It's like a protein shake. Like it basically looks like he's drinking milk. Oh. And mm-hmm. it's actually a protein shake with like deer horn in it or something like that. And there, and it kind of comes up oh. over and over again throughout the film about the deer horn shaving or something like shavings. And there's a couple okay. jokes about the shake itself. What I love yeah. about this film, too, is it runs like a freight train. Not only is a dialogue delivered kind of very snappy, kind of in that old style, which Carpenter was intent was specifically doing, but also the film itself has a propulsion, right? It runs, what is it? It's like over nine, just over 90-something minutes, 100 yeah. minutes? And it just, it feels, there's no wasted space in this. You're basically on the pork chop express, and the brakes are gone, and you're running this thing, <laughs> running this thing to the end. And it's one of the great successes, I think, of this film. I don't know, did you guys experience that at all as well? Or for me, I felt like it was kind of like a little bit of stop and go, but really felt when I was watching this, and I was like, "Is this like a movie with three acts? Because it feels like there's the setup, the second act, and the third act. But the second act and the third act could both be." They're both the same thing. They're like, okay, let's go in and do yeah. it. Okay, it didn't work. And then let's go in and do it again. And I'm like, huh? True. And even again, even though I've seen it before, I'm like, this just doesn't feel like a three-act structure. Like, it feels like part one and, and then like part three twice. Like, there's not really a middle. Yep. So I think because those kind of the two infiltrations <laughs> that kind of happen um, because they feel so similar to me by the time we we're like getting towards the end of like the actual ending I was like this kind of feels like it's going on for just a little bit long I, I, that's just me hold on I'm writing down a note <laughs> is wrong <laughs> alright good continue mm-hmm. yeah thank you thank you um, get the timestamp on it too so you can put it in the show notes um, oh. <laughs> that's not going to be correct by the time I edit <laughs> But that'll be fun to find out. Like I said, it's it's fun and it and it's a raucous adventure. But at the end, I was like, "All right, it's like I know where we're going. Like, let's just do it." It it, it went. It felt like it was stretched a little bit for me. But you know, I have attention deficit problems, so I don't know. Sean, what did you think? It never bothered me. I mean, you're not <laughs> wrong. It does have a you know. Okay, here's the character. Here's the setup. Here's the thing. Oh my gosh, there's a there's a street mm-hmm. fight with automatic gunfire. <laughs> But then you're right. The movie then has two second acts uh, or two third acts or a 2A and a 2B. Yeah, like, okay, let's – all right, guys, there, we have to go – they actually have to escape three times, right? Like they, they get into the fight and then they, they, yeah. they, they abandon the truck and then they have to yeah. escape. And then they, they regroup and then yeah. they go in to get the, the whatever and then they get the girls and then they have a cool fight and then they leave. Oh, we left a couple people. Now we've got to regroup and rearm and then get reinforcements and then go back in and then do the stuff and then leave again. So, <laughs> you know, it, it, but, but as far yeah. as the pacing goes, it never bothered me. I never, 
Because it can't be action, action, action all the time. You have to have moments where yeah. people are just for talking. Sure. It's okay for the actors and you as the audience to catch your breath. It's okay so that we can just sit here for a couple yeah, minutes. No, you need it. So he can drink a beer and Gracie Law can say more exposition. Like, we need to know more backstory exactly. about... Yeah, he can call the insurance company. Or the writer lady. The writer lady <laughs> was also an exposition machine. Like, that's all I feel yep. like. Like mm. uh, I think one of the, uh, Margaret is the exposition girl is one of my notes. It's helpful to bring a journalist yeah. along with you on your, your adventure. They, ha- they have all kinds of facts. Yeah. And they'll cut right to it. You gotta love that inverted pyramid. So, she always had... The most relevant information yeah. to present. I did. I did like her in this. Um, I, I know the Kate Burton's been in like tons of things, but to me, she she is she is Meredith's mom from Grey's Anatomy, and uh-huh. she is the uh, really really horrendous vice president in uh, Scandal uh, for a while. She's one of many. Obviously, Shonda Rhimes loves her some Kate Burton, but but she's just so mean in both of those. Like she's just such a she's a nasty woman <laughs> in both of those shows. And then in this, she's just like this yeah. wide eyed, like sweet journalist with a crush. And I was just like, yeah. oh, look at her, look at her being so young and sweet. Oh, I loved it. So I I, I enjoyed her character quite a bit. I like everybody's just so fun in this. Everybody's even like the bad guys are. You're like, look at him go. Oh, yeah, James like, Hong is fantastic. He's just, uh, he's just, he's one of those guys that I love <laughs> seeing him in things. Um, and of course, you know, he's the dad from Kung Fu Panda. Oh, oh I, I didn't even Kung know. He's, Kung, he's the goose from <laughs> Kung Fu Panda. I don't and he, know it. He talks to Poe oh. about having the noodle dream. So uh, I didn't know this. Kate Burton, who played the reporter. Yeah. Nepo baby. <gasps> Shocking, what? I know, in Hollywood. That she's the uh, daughter of um, a little-known <laughs> actor named Richard Burton. Shut the front yeah, door. Yeah. So there you go. What? I, how did I not know that? Wow. I know you're steeped in Richard Burton, Burton lore. <laughs> I'm not sure how you didn't know. You know what? I I was listening to a podcast this week that was all about Liz Taylor and sidebarred into a, her relationship with oh, Richard okay. Burton. So he was top of go. mind. Top so, of mind uh, this yeah. week. Strangely. Wow. Serendipity. Wow. My goodness. So. A couple things I wanted to point out that I thought were interesting uh, for the yes. uh, audio commentary. One thing, too, there's a vintage feature on the Blu-ray that I enjoyed. One of them, they, they introduced John Carpenter, and he's like, director of Halloween and Starman <laughs> returns. I'm like, no mention of the thing. <laughs> and it just pains me, you know. I know. And he's, Carpenter says, too, during the commentary that he was still doing penance for the thing. So that's why I did Starman. So I was doing penance for for the thing, and it just yeah. it just blows my mind how. I and know. Russell says too early and jokingly, but it's absolutely right. Is that he's always ahead of the game? Carpenter is. Mm-hmm. He'll make something, and then years later or shortly after, he'll he'll have influenced other young directors or other people, and they'll kind of take what he did mm-hmm. and run with it. He has so many films yeah. that have since been kind of copied or had loving homages to, or the case may be, films that weren't understood or appreciated when they came out initially that are now considered yeah. often classics of the genre. And just to see how the studio system can take an artist like that and then just chew them up and spit them out because I guess just, I, I don't know, I guess, or is it the audience's fault? I don't know. It's a combination of both. Just not appreciating, understanding what was happening at the time. I, I don't know, but it just yeah. depressed me a bit listening to that. I know. And I was just saying, you, you always hear these stories about such and such was supposed to happen and then the studio got involved, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Back when people actually watched cable, if you remember these days, 
So AMC, right? AMC would do on Saturday nights, they would do these movies where they would have a constant like scroll of trivia underneath. And I watched Mm -hmm. uh, the 1989 Batman with this this scroll of trivia and I got way more information out of that than I ever did off like off IMDb or anything like that. And the one thing that I thought was really interesting was that, you know, the whole scene where like Alfred lets Vicky Vale into the Batcave. That was a mm-hmm. producer came in and said this is what we're going to do. It was a studio decision. Uh, because Batman had such uh, hard times getting made in the first place because no American studio would take it on. They had a hard time just making the movie because who cares about superhero films? We just had Superman. We just had a couple of those movies. No one cares about Batman. And so that decision was made out of, I about said Danny Elfman, Tim Burton's hands. He didn't get a chance to, to make that choice. And there was, a, there was another choice that was made for him. And I can't remember the, the another big one that was made for him that was uh, was really upsetting. It's just like, man... Like if he could have had full control, and I think you know he was able to have kind of more control with Batman Returns, which is why that movie is weirder than the first one. But <laughs> yes, um, but my favorite yeah. little bit from that was the end. It was it was supposed to just happen like just in the street, and then literally like during production, they went to uh, Burton and a couple of producers went and watched a live production of Phantom of the Opera, and they said, "Hmm, what if we had the climax like in a." tall like like a church you know and so like the bell crashing down is like reminiscent of the chandelier crashing Mm -hmm. down and that's one of the times where it's like hey that's kind of cool like it wasn't the forethought it was you know during filming yeah yeah, the inspiration hey let's just build a model and have cartoon lights on it and it'll be fine so anyway sorry little sidebar nice but is this a record for how many random burtons have been discussed in, in a podcast we've we've got jack burton yeah yeah we've got kate burton got tim burton and we sidebarred into richard burton it's amazing it's how do we get here no i i totally see what you're saying sean like the studio interfering was like the the undercurrent of season two (laughs) as we discussed all of the alien films was like what did the director want to do what did the writer want to do and then what did the studio make happen and i don't want to be that person who's like you know studio systems are completely wrong because like i don't work there but Nobody's ever going to tell us about the thing that was a, a studio decision that like really tied something together, right? You're only going to hear about it when we can blame the studio for their their interference. Mm. I'm not saying that they should be making those decisions. I I think it's probably for the best if you know the artists involved in the projects can be the ones ultimately deciding those things. But you're never going to hear the inverse of those stories of how like some producer made a suggestion slash demand and it came out for the better. But yeah, I mean, I think goes back to our our first season as well. You know, like Kevin Smith was not a guy who was going to work with the studios because he wanted to do it his way. And I think, you know, if you didn't have people like John Carpenter being like, like, you know what, I give up with you guys and just going to keep keep doing my thing to my niche audience. You don't get a Kevin Smith like you. You don't have the change to the way that people can make films and people can consume films now. And it it is kind of interesting to think about, like, what would things have been like for Carpenter's career if things could have been more accessible than the way that they are now, the way that like. You know, people can just go, yeah, no, I'm not playing the studio game. Yeah. I'm going to do my thing. I'm going to control start to finish. 
And like, what if that was possible for him? Not in the 2000s. Like, what if he could have been doing that in the 80s? It's uh, it's just interesting to think about the studio's involvement in one person's career. Le- last sidebar, we forgot you're talking about Burton's. I did mention Psych. Oh. And Sykes, you know, has Sean Spencer and Burton Guster. Oof. Oh, there you go. There we go, man. So we're just it. drowning in Burton's. That's, uh, yeah. That's this is why you invited me track. on right here. This track. this that's level it. of uh, psych yeah. trivia is why you're here. Juan and I were talking. Right. <laughs> so, Sean, I was going to ask, point this out to you too, since you're such a big Hong fan. Carpenter reveals in the commentary, which I thought was fascinating, is that Hong got his start in World War II doing USO shows. And he would do an impression of Al Jilson and do it in, in blackface. Blew my mind <laughs> that that's how he got his start, like in acting. Wow. Well, and it, it's it's a time, it's a different yeah, time. Yeah. So you know, you got That's one of those things where you got to. <laughs> I think it's fair to say you have this young Asian kid trying to break in in Hollywood, and this is how we. St- I wow. fascinating to me that that's. What else? I don't want to spoil <laughs> everything for you. So you should really listen to it. Um, one, two more things. The underground set where all the women are being kept prisoner when they break yeah. in. Uh-huh. Uh, that set has been used supposedly many, many times since they built it. And then it's been used over and over again, mostly for like music videos. I think both Michael Jackson oh. and Janet's action used it for videos. And then Carpenter drops this, which I absolutely adore the man for saying this. He goes, yeah, no, this set's been used a lot. In fact, I saw it in a porn film just the other night. Nice. <laughs> I like it. So good on you, Amazing. John. And then uh, finally, the, the the final fight scene when they're trying to escape and um, Lightning is doing his thing, right? And he starts setting things on fire and like that gate cover thing falls behind yeah. him. Mm-hmm. That scene initially called for lava to be pouring out of the seams and the walls down the hall oh. in, the, in the room, oh. the hallway slowly filling up with lava. But it just wasn't financially feasible, yeah. so they didn't do it. Uh, yeah, it's hard to get so, real lava in uh, L.A. So, yeah, exactly. So there's a bunch of other cool Maybe little one things. Day. One scene where where Kurt Russell almost got seriously injured, which I won't spoil for you. Uh, you have to watch the commentary yeah. to see what happened. Uh, lots of cool little things like that. So you should definitely check out the commentary on that thing. There you go. A little teaser for people to buy the Um, Blu-ray. How do you like that? All right. So I have one last thing uh, that is, since we were talking about it, a a studio interference. Mm. And then I think we can, we can hop into the score. Yeah. yeah. I think we're ready for that. So um, last little studio interference is uh, the opening scene that was uh, added. So the audience would know starting the movie, (laughs) Jack Burton's the hero. Which is not like, wouldn't it be so much better if the start of the movie was Jack on the radio? Yes, because so when Egg is in there, just you leave Jack Burton alone. He is a hero and we owe him a debt. So I kept expecting in the movie for him to do this miraculous thing. And again, he doesn't. (laughs) He doesn't. He's he's not the hero. He is not Han Solo coming back at the end to, to, to help out Luke. You know, like he doesn't do that moment. He he throws his knife away, <laughs> you know. Like it's just <laughs> so that, that I wish it had just started with him in his truck. Honestly, oh yeah. Something that I've said a hundred times on my podcast is that Hollywood thinks we are stupid. They think that right. the audience is stupid. My favorite example, and I've used this on my show a hundred times. And if you know, if you're listening to this show because of me, hi. But also, 
Um, and I know that we have some crossover <laughs> listeners. I do know that. I know Heather is a crossover yeah. listener. She she hey, she got really excited when she found out I was going to be on the movie. The the John McTiernan directed film Pierce Brosnan, the Thomas Crown Affair. Thomas Crown Affair remake. Yeah, the Thomas. Yeah. So when he steals the painting at the beginning of the movie, it's it's a painting. It's you know it's two and a half feet wide. So he takes his briefcase and he opens it. And he puts it in the briefcase, but off camera. It's just out of frame. And then he shuts the briefcase. Well, that would break it in half. It would destroy the canvas. <laughs> and then he walks out with the briefcase. And then he goes home, and he opens the briefcase, again, off camera. And then he just hangs it on the wall, and it's perfect. And so in the trivia, Magic. in the trivia, it literally said, John McTiernan said, <laughs> I just hope no one would notice. Again, John McTiernan, one of my favorite directors... Thinks we're stupid. Well, I would say, Sean, another thing you got to remember, too, is that the Transformers film franchise has made almost $5 billion. Yeah. <laughs> so, I got some bad news for you. Touche. <laughs> like, that's why I really like movies. The, the director didn't talk down to us, right? I love Serenity. Serenity is my favorite film. We've already had this realization, and Chris and I went back and forth with this, I think, the last time I was here. <laughs> Because I think it blew you away that that <laughs> yeah. was my favorite movie. Well, that, sure. So they speak Chinese a lot of, <laughs> in the movie. There's no subtitles. You don't know what he says, but you know what he's saying because of the context of the movie. So to me, right. that's Joss Whedon delivery, all that stuff, not yeah. talking down to me as a viewer, which I appreciate. There you go. Yeah. Joss Whedon go fuck himself. But yeah, I agree with you entirely. <laughs> kind of a bad human being. You're not wrong. But when he was making one of some of my favorite films, I liked him. So, and that's okay, right? We can still we can still go back and watch American Beauty and appreciate Kevin Spacey, yeah. even though. Yeah, I, I think it's it's what is it? I think Juan, do you agree? Are we, are we both on the Scott Ackerman method for that? Stuff? The Scott Ackerman thing? Yeah, we. <laughs> We both found the the Scott Ackerman. Uh, you can enjoy anything from before yeah. you found out that they were uh, a garbage human. I I'm gonna say though that like American Beauty is is the one example of like we shouldn't because he is creeping well, on a teenager. So like if the, we could talk about usual nose, suspects, yeah. like yeah, Kevin Spacey's great in it, but that one just ooh, we're we're not gonna fair go enough, with that fair one. Enough. Yeah, I mean I like Baby Driver, and it's that is a cursed film at this point too, dear Lord. <laughs> Baby driver. Why? What? Yeah, there's. Well, that issues. Ansel Egor has run into some problems too, along with with. Uh, oh, Kevin that's Spacey. a bummer. I didn't know that. Oh yeah, yeah. That that stuff kind of was swirling all around when Spielberg's West Side mm -hmm. Story came out. Yeah, I think I think I also watched um, what is it? Uh, Death on the Nile last year, and that was another one that's like Army Hammer. Oh, yeah, it's just yeah. Well, I still love Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, you know, and, and Spacey's in that. And I, I watch that movie probably uh, ten times a year. So, yeah. I am just fascinated by your viewing habits, like the frequency. There are movies that, so I, that hook me. Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, Rope, yeah. and Brick are three movies oh, that I just get in a mood yeah. where I will watch them like four or five times like in a span of a week and a half, two weeks. And then I won't revisit it again for like a year. Uh -huh. But I just, I just something about them. Like yeah. I, just two weeks ago, I watched Rope three times in six days. Wow! Wow! Ah, that's uh, that's Fleabag season two. I don't for have me. time for that kind of thing. Well, a lot of time. I'll, I'll be honest, Sean. It's, it's like background sure, sure. stuff. Like I'll be cooking and I'll have yeah. it on, or I'll be working on something that doesn't require thought, and I'll throw on like Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, because yeah. I like movies that are 
I don't know, great kind of snappy dialogue yeah, yeah. and clever. And I think all three of mm. those films fall into that. I, yeah, I, I get that, and I, I and I'm with you. Also, but, also, Sean, uh, we don't have children. Oh yeah, so we can watch whatever we want, whatever we want. Yeah. So that's the thing. I can't put <laughs> yeah. a movie on yeah. when I'm cooking no. unless it's in my ear <laughs> headphones. And even then, I can only yeah. have one headphone yeah. in because I know at some point yeah. one of the children is going to come up to me and ask me 150 questions. Yeah, no, that's yeah. why you got to give Benadryl on a daily yeah. basis. Yeah, well, <laughs> no. That's what my sure. parents did. They said, go lie down in the closet, have a cup of Benadryl. Yeah. A, cu- a cup of Benadryl? A cup. Oh, a cup. <laughs> they said a cup of Benadryl. Just, just go have a cup. Here's a tumbler. Just Here's a tumbler of NyQuil if and Benadryl. You wake up, sip it. Uh, yeah. No, I will I will admit this, too. Uh, and I know we need to get to your score corner, which I think you tried to do like That's okay. 13 I, I don't have to be at work tomorrow until 8.30 in the morning. We're good. Keep going. Uh, I got to be at... <laughs> if it's 7.30, sir. Yeah, that's fun. Um, oh, All right. but this is, this is a normal kind of, <laughs> this is a normal Wednesday night for me anyway, for my show. So, uh, especially with work, right? I, I don't have the ability to put on a thing in my ears that has dialogue right. if I have to mm-hmm. engage my brain, which is, but my boss, she can do that. So she's running through just whatever <laughs> she says. I love action shows and action movies. So like every time I walk by her cubicle, I just kind of look over so right now she's running through person of interest. Jesus. She's what are you doing blowing up your boss right no, now? No, it's great. She and no one cares. <laughs> like her boss finds out that this is out in the open. This is like screen. All right. And, she, and so I every time I walk by, I'm like, hey, what are you, what are you watching? And she's like, oh, today. I'm... See, I couldn't do it with an action film because that would require my attention. If it's a dialogue thing, what I'm doing is I'm, I'm like working on some kind of artistic thing for my job which it happens rarely but it does happen mm. that um i can i it's and it's there are, mo- there are movies i know so well that i can recite the dialogue sure. so that's basically what i'm doing that is that i'm reciting the dialogue yeah. in the scene you know what it takes to sell real estate instead of listening to music balls yeah. to sell real estate i mean i can do like glenn gary glenn ross from start to finish so i think that's why yeah, I, it, it doesn't require any attention from me because i know it so well the, the at the last job where 75 percent of my of my job was troubleshooting you know steps one through five in my brain on troubleshooting are automatic so what i would do a lot of times honestly when i was there was um i would do like the west wing so I would put yep. it on in my headphones and then put mm. my phone in my pocket and basically treat it like a podcast because Aaron Sorkin's shows or dialogue yeah. is so snappy. I've run through West Wing probably twice in the last three years <laughs> as a podcast. Wow. <laughs> when I was oh, a man. kid, we're really getting off topic and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put a bow on this and we're going to move on. <laughs> I am so old. Okay. How old am I? Is that when I was a kid, I would put a movie on like on HBO and I would hold a tape recorder to it. So then I would have like an audio tape version of the movie and then I would listen to that. And it got to a point that I would read comic books. So I would be creating my own audio books of my comic books to listen that's to. That's cool. I like that. What? Yeah. None of that survived, unfortunately. I wish it yeah. did, yeah. but that's all long gone. Aww. All right. Wow. Scalzo score corner. Shall we do all that? Right, score corner. Let's try and bring this thing home. Yeah. Let's do it. Solid. A solid score from Carpenter. One of the thing, one of the thing I respect about this, mm-hmm. one of the smart choices that we don't lean into kind of stereotypical Asian themes with the music. Carpenter right. is just rock right. and roll and synths, and we're gonna get um, in a little yeah. bit more of that when we get into um, "They Live." That's more of a country feel to it because it's more of a western. But it's got some rock and roll, um, buddy 
you know, road trip kind of action comedy feel to it. And I think the score runs with that perfectly. With, you know, one of my favorite things, synths. Carpenter leans into his synths and you yeah. never get tired of it. And but a lot of the score is done by a group called the Coupe de Villes. And Juan, who are the Coupe de Villes? <laughs> John Carpenter, Nick Castle, and Tommy there Lee you Wallace. Go. What more do you really need? <laughs> and they actually do a song Nothing for more. Big Trouble in Little China, like an actual, you know, like a, not a Benson, Arizona, but uh, oh. still. <laughs> and it's 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 a fun, rollicking soundtrack that I think that kind of really sets the mood for this film. And it's it's mm-hmm. it's fun. I enjoy it. So it's one of the ones I've purchased. I have an actual CD of. Love it. It that it song over the end credits. Uh, if you have not seen the music video, <laughs> go on YouTube and watch that music video. It is eighties AF. It is so good. I love so much. <laughs> it's just a magical time of just there. There was no such thing as too much, and uh, it was. So, it's great. Did any of you have so. a favorite Burton-ism? This is, this is clearly mine. I think this is the winner. Okay. You people sit tight, hold the fort, and keep the home fires burning. And if we're not back by dawn, call the president. <laughs> I think that is <laughs> my favorite in the entire film. <laughs> so good. And he, and he winks so right good. at the end, too. Call the president. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's just... Uh, I I I can't decide. It's honestly like when I was watching it, I wrote down, "Are you crazy? Is that your problem?" I just <laughs> I wrote that one down just because I love how specific it is. Like it almost feels like he's trying to help. Like, is that your problem? Um, but it's just it's everything that he says is so funny. The John Wayne voice that he's doing is yeah. hysterical. It's so good. It, it doesn't wear on you at any point because there's enough other stuff going on. That it doesn't become like, oh, he's still doing this bit. Like, it is, again, it is sincere. Yeah, he never goes <laughs> overboard with it. Over Overboard? Over, overboard? There it is. Right. There it is. John, did you have a favorite it. one? <laughs> Do you have a favorite one? <laughs> My favorite one, honestly, it's just because it's ridiculous. And it's it's honestly, it's because of the delivery of the way he says it. But... I just, I just love this one. Son of a bitch must pay. I just, hmm. I just love the way he says it. It just, it just cracks me up. And the, <laughs> the music in the background, that, that, that rolling bass synth, it's just, it's just, I don't know. He, he there, there are other lines that he says that are better. It's a vibe. That's just, to me, it's just, it, it's, it's a funny, like it's, it's a revenge line. He's like, oh, I'm gonna get you, gadget, you know. But it's just the way he says it, it just cracks me up. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's the attitude. It's so much attitude. Yeah. It's fantastic. Oh my gosh. I realized that I did not do my significant enough homework on our little returning players. Oh I've normally God. I've been presenting a list every episode of like who who is our returning players on screen and I wrote down Kurt Russell is back baby and then I guess I moved on and <laughs> did not look to see if there are other people. I I messed up here. Uh I don't kn- think there are many <laughs> like in general or from just the last movie just anybody who's worked with carpenter in the oh. past anybody who has already I mean, worked with Cundy's him because i know but that, i don't know if, i don't think you count you're talking about no um Cundy. i'm just yeah Cundy is director of photography again i think this is the last time though that they work together and then like larry j franco he's producing and he produces like 90 percent of the stuff that we've covered You'll so see far Victor Wong but next time, on screen but, um 
Is there any? I, I don't think that there is. No, I don't believe so. I think that's all we've got. But I, I like was so confident. And, and I literally like that is my note. It doesn't say like Kurt Russell. It says Kurt Russell is back. Right, here we baby. go. I have that's the thing up on Wikipedia. So Jeff Amata, okay. he's worked with before. Al Young, he's worked. He works with. Uh, these are all to come, though. They oh, but that, that doesn't yeah, count, no, count yet. Count yet. All Kurt. right. So I, accidentally, I did the homework assignment correctly. Yeah, you did. Great job. So, <laughs> <good>. <laughs> Nailed it. Should I take all of this out where I acknowledge that I didn't do? No, I'm leaving it in. Everybody gets yeah. to see how the sausage is made. Look so, good. all right. Favorite performance. Are, are we ready to uh, each choose oh, our on. favorite this performance is such in the a film? Light. I I can't imagine. <laughs> I will be shocked. Uh, Sean. Sean, what do you got? And we're talking about for the whole film, not like moment, but we're talking about the whole film. The whole film. Who, out of everybody in the film, who gives your favorite performance? I don't know. I, I'm I'm going to definitely say, I mean, uh, obviously, Kurt Russell is, is fantastic, but he's supposed to be, I think, which is why you, you cast him. <laughs> yeah. So I'm not I'm going to put him aside. But again, he's fantastic. He's he's definitely not okay. the wrong answer here. But my <laughs> well, what is your answer? performance really is, and he's not in the movie very much. But it really is James Hong. He just play, playing that old okay. crippled guy in the chair. He's just crusty and whatever, and then he turns into Lopan. Everything about him just cracks yes. me up. The fact that they're having like a like a magic fight and he's using his pinkies. It's just ridiculous. Everything about him <laughs> is fantastic. So he he gets my golden uh cheap seat award right. for best performance. <laughs> That's going to make it easier for me then cuz I never want anybody to be left out. Then I I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and uh just snag Jack Burton here. Kurt Russell is my favorite in this one. Chris, do, do oh, you absolutely. agree? I I I appreciate Sean's <laughs> sentiment, and I understand, I guess, where it's coming yes. from. But um, I mean, he is, is, it is I'm the best. I'm glad we have Completely it in the, the wrong Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. He, he is the best. <laughs> he is the best part of, the best thing in the movie. But yeah, I just love James Hong. It's just. Maybe Chris Pratt, a, but that would be about it. Chris yeah. Pratt? Well, he would have sure. been like. I'm kidding. It's I'm like kidding. He would have been like. <laughs> Nobody can see the one. face I'm making. <laughs> Poor Pratt. No. Uh, yeah. No. It, we've we've all turned yeah. on him. No. It's it's, it's it's Kurt. It, the film just doesn't work without him in that role. It doesn't. It falls apart. Oh yeah, I agree. No. You kind of teased or mentioned like there could potentially be a remake. the The problem I honestly feel like with a remake is that they would turn it serious, or it would be tongue in cheek, and it would be too like wink, wink at so? everything I, that's I, happening. I, it, to me, it, it it feels like they would. Yeah. Either way, it's what sucks. So James Wan and um, Patrick Wilson wanted to do it, and that, but they said that they wouldn't be, a, they wouldn't do a remake; they'd do a sequel, sequel because they both love the film so much, right? That they wouldn't, they realized it would be basically sacrilegious for them to try sure. and remake it. And then The Rock somehow yeah. was involved in his production company, and he, you know, yeah, he was yeah. interested in exploring a Jumanji like sequel where we just kind of do another film in the area of little china town i guess i I don't i don't know but yeah uh, yeah so i guess we're not prepared for the balance of power to quite shift in the big trouble in little china universe (laughs) just yet so um that's not happening either i don't know this is one of those films that is just lightning in a bottle 
And I just don't think you can replicate it. Yeah. You can't. You can't. Leave it alone. No. No, it's a moment in time. Yeah. Leave it alone. Yeah. So so now we can we'll go ahead and give our rating for it. So uh this movie is seventy four percent fresh on Rotten Tomatoes with an audience score of eighty two percent. But we rate here <laughs> Well, if you know, when they do the critics score, that includes reviews from yeah. the time. Yeah. We can blame the film reviewers of the eighties who just didn't get it. Damn you, Roper. Gene Shallot. <laughs> and uh just screwing up the percentages here but we we don't have to worry about that because here at screen run we rate on our own score and season three it's a synth score we rank on a scale of one all the way up to five and synths can only be divided in half so you can only do a half synth no quarter synth that's for me yeah i got you (laughs) (laughs) oh that's for everybody it's for everybody i also you know i like to keep it the same kind of score for letterbox and i struggle with quarter stars for letterbox i always want to do that but and i honestly i wanted to do that with this one too just going to keep talking then and i really waffled on i like honestly this is a 4.25 for me i know i've been like over the top about it this whole time but like when i was watching it i was like this is either a four or four and a half and because it's a 4.25 straight up for me like it just is but I, I can't give it a 4.25. That is not allowed. Are you a glass so full, half full, I think or half empty? We're about to find out, folks. I was confident last night that this was a four. After watching that music video too many times today, this is a 4.5 for me. That's what I've got. Um, Chris, let's go to you next. That way Sean can be last. Well, be- uh, I agree with my uh, esteemed co-host. I think 4.5 is <gasps> the way to go. This is the first 4.5, oh I believe, I've shared yet so yes i am a fan of the big troubles in the little chinas (laughs) wow this is very exciting for you yeah you've only given you gave a five obviously to the thing and then halloween uh, yes but but yeah this is this is very exciting all right sean what is your score for this film I thought I thought about doing a joke and saying something <laughs> like one point, but no, I can't no. even do the joke. No, it's... we'd hang up on you. No, that's fair. <laughs> I, would, I would earn it. I would deserve it. This is such a good time. I right? I really like this movie. I, I there's I mean there's things you could nitpick. There's things we can pull apart, but I don't want to. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Who cares? This is yeah. such a good time. This is we we've talked about this on my show too. There's there are movies where I don't care what you say. I'm going to love it. You know, like, yeah. like okay. Like Waterworld for me is kind of that. Or the fi- or the fifth element. What? You know, Waterworld is a not a good movie. I know that. But I it's it, it has a weird place in my heart because of nostalgia and some other things. You know, it was one of the first rated R movies okay. I got to sit and watch with my dad, like all the way through. A lot of my yeah, okay. moments in time mm-hmm. are movies with my dad. You know, like I became a Trek fan because yeah. of my dad. The yeah. first movie I ever saw in the theater with my dad was Star Trek Generations. Bad movie, but I love it because of mm. the of the memory, right? So mm-hmm. so Waterworld is sure. kind of the same thing, yeah. right? It's a bad movie, but dad and I have a good time with it. And you still haven't seen the thing. But I still haven't seen the thing. But I've seen Waterworld seen, seen 30 Waterworld. times or so. <laughs> 30 I've times. even been to Hawaii. We actually went to Hawaii, not because of it, it's just timing, but right after they finished filming. So the atoll was in dock and we actually got to physically see the atoll the the sit the floating city the the production wow. company sold it to a japanese company who uh, sank it for their reef so wow. you didn't even watch the thing on the plane well i would have been 12 <laughs> so no definitely definitely didn't yeah that wouldn't that. have been a good idea 
No, you don't want anybody to watch the thing on the on a plane on a screen this That's big. Admittedly, the, the other problem with the thing is never streaming. It's hard to find because I I was just looking for it. It's oh, it's not point. streaming and like John just in the future just DM me on Twitter. I burn <laughs> almost every one of the Blu-rays I buy. And I'm happy to. Uh, <laughs> no, Chris yeah. is not pirating videos. It's not pirating, ever. I own it. <laughs> I'm allowed to make copies of my. I think own. it's pirating yeah. if you share it. Doesn't that, that best FBI like, messages yeah, yeah. at the beginning? <laughs> it's, it's kind of, it's like... Disregard <laughs> edits. Click. Uh, but this is to me. It's a four and a half. I haven't. I don't think I actually said this. Right. This is a four and a half. Four this is. Nice. I mean, Across if I the board. is that the first time we had Universal? If I could have given it a four point seven five, I would Halloween have. and the thing. Before and a half, but like, yeah. and yeah. I, I teased it earlier in your show. But if I were to rank the five that I've seen, <laughs> it would be for me yes. going from yes. five yes, to one would be Escape from New York, Escape from okay. L.A., which I know is sacrilegious, but again, I watched them out of order, and it's I just okay. think L.A. is more fun, and it gets a little bit of a bump because of Bruce Campbell, and then The Invisible Man, then this movie, and then Halloween. Okay. All right, I'm writing it down. It's gonna get. It's gonna. I I, I keep joking around that like I'm gonna make a white paper, but like so like once I I'm once I see the thing, so. I'm sure the thing I, will get will get rank, ranked up there pretty high and <laughs> and um watch. I'm, he's gonna hate. It. And I still like want to watch I've, They I've, Live I've because you know it's got so many again other quotable things. It's just you know the whole one of the greatest fight scenes in the history. of They cinema. also like didn't they because they redid the entire fight for fight like shot <laughs> for shot in American Dad or Family Guy or something. South was Park. it South Park? That's what it was. Which I which I think is fantastic. So that's no did not know that, but yeah, it's it's that is going to be an additional graphic. Is uh your your ranking of five John Carpenter movies. So thank you for that. I love data. This is our last little segment here. John Carpenter has famously kind of ad- admitted that sometimes he, you know, does a movie for the job. And obviously we've discussed throughout this episode, the films that he's made that how they came out, how that impacted his career. So this last category that we do here is on a scale of zero to 10. How many fucks did John Carpenter give about making the movie that we're talking about? So (laughs) we continue. It's another data point that I'm interested in charting to to watch as the season continues. So this is a a zero to ten. So you can give a zero. Nobody's going to. But it's a zero to ten scale. I, I think we said decimals are fine. I don't know. I, I don't know what we've said before. I think it's the um, same thing with but, halves, but, I believe. But yeah. Is it, I don't know. I think fucks can be smaller than a half. We haven't had any I think yet. they might be. Sure. I'm looking. Nope. We have had no. We've only had whole numbers. It's been but 9.5. I was just looking at it. What are you talking about? Wait, Make, what? Where? You gave the last movie. Oh, yes. Five. Yes, yes. No, that was me last yeah, week. I started to say Megan. Yeah, last week. episode. And that's. No, it was me. I don't know what I'm doing here. I'm tired. All right. So <laughs> zero to 10. Chris, why don't you go first this time? How many Fs do you think Johnny C gave? Uh, as they say in Spanish, 10. <laughs> I think it's 10. I think he's all in on this. He's wanted to make a movie involving martial arts for a very long time. And he makes his kind of yeah. takeoff of the buddy action film and nails it. So I'm all in. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there you go. That one I know. That's Italian. I I've been studying it. I'm on like a 98 day streak on Duolingo. Okay, brag, uh, Sean. With a movie like this, 
Um, even with studio interference, it still feels like this is his thing. Right. And so it's it's hard to to argue that this is yeah. anything less than his full throated support of what he was trying to do. So it's this has to be a ten, right? Like all of the F's given that he could yeah. possibly give, he gave to this movie. <laughs> and I just, I adore sure him did. for it. Yeah. God, look at us again, at agreeing across the board because I'm going with a full 10 because he's got a music video. He's playing guitar and singing a song. That's him. So yes, it's uh And when you asked me to come 10. back on this season, I picked this one and that's, this was that reason is because I had such a good time with maybe I should have picked the thing so it would have given me an excuse to finally watch it. Oh, you you yeah. weren't gonna get that. That I was going to Matt oh. immediately. Matt had called it. Oh, I'm yeah, so I, sorry. I, <laughs> but you should still absolutely. watch it. If you want to do a special episode where we come back. Well, uh, that we would can be do it. I'm I, I Chris, would you not do another I'll episode talk to talk well, about it? It would thing be fun to do again. for like our yeah. show to have you both come on for that one. That would be kind of fun. Oh, there yeah. you go. Oh, then yeah. I don't have to edit it. I like that. Well, I don't edit either, so I like that too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that could be all right. You, I do. You know, you know where to find yeah. us, Sean. When you do eventually I, I watch the thing, do. you know where to find us. But segue, Sean. Where can people find you? Uh, they. <laughs> How can our listeners? We can be found uh, at find all you. of the places where you purchase your podcast. We are just cheap seat reviews. You can go to uh, Linktree, <laughs> cheap, Linktree slash cheap seat reviews or whatever it's called. And then, uh, but real big right now is go to uh, go to our YouTube channel. We're actually doing pretty well over there, which is weird because people actually want to see our faces. Nice. But uh, it's just, which is weird because we're <laughs> recording. Um, we've been recording video. And I will pimp one particular episode in particular. We recently did RRR, and that movie is just <gasps> a, a work of art. And That's just great. go watch that movie, all three hours of it, and then listen to all two hours of my podcast. Five hours of a commitment. It's a long episode, <laughs> but our guest was on it. She was great. Seriously, go watch it. And it's not our most downloaded episode ever. But it's our most viewed on YouTube by significant amounts. It, it like broke our algorithm. It was great. So Ooh. go check it out. Cheap Seat Reviews, <laughs> uh, YouTube slash uh, Cheap Seat Reviews. Go go there. Yeah. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Sean, for watching this movie again for us, for joining us tonight. This was super fun. So we're so glad we could have you back again this season and really get into Absolutely. this weird, it was, wonderful movie. It was movie. my so pleasure. <laughs> So go check out Sean's show, especially because we just had Lindsay, Lindsay Washburn on for, for Christine. Cool. She did our episode for Christine. So you know her, you yeah, love her. Great. Go check her out with Cheap Seat Reviews as you guys discuss all the nightmare films. You can follow us on Twitter. We're at Screen Run. I'm at The Lady One and Chris is at CG Scalzo. And you can find our show wherever the podcasts are. Please leave us a review. Rate us five stars if you've enjoyed this. Tell a friend. So uh, next episode, we will be discussing Prince of Darkness. Thanks, everybody. Take care. Oh, Say bye, Chris. Thank you, everybody. Thanks for listening. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> <laughs>
We're shooting uh, this particular sequence in, in downtown uh, Los Angeles in the industrial area. This, this uh, location has been used a hundred times now. I actually saw it in a porn film the other night. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a great Some place for Some of your us. finest work. Exactly. 